0: Good Monday. It is June 20th, 2022. Happy Juneteenth. It's the first time Juneteenth is a federally recognized holiday. This is Ozarks at Large on your public radio station, KUAF 91.3. A listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, we dip into the Prior Center archives to learn about the pollster and educator who brought a new understanding of politics to Arkansans more than 45 years ago. And the sing-along gathering Beer and Hymns is saluting pride this month. Ozarks at-large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith and Kristen Kite will tell us more about that. And a big shout-out to the baseball Razorbacks, who are continuing play in the Men's College World Series tonight against Mississippi after that demonstrative 17-2 win over Stanford Saturday. First on our show today... The U.S. is facing a significant driver shortage. More than 80,000 unfilled jobs nationwide. That's according to the American Trucking Association. The state of Arkansas is working to fill its backlog of CDL tests, which were significantly halted during the pandemic. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth reports.
1: Melissa Taylor clicks her seatbelt on before turning on the truck ignition and shifting into gear. A country road sprawls out before her. This isn't a real truck, and the Country Road is actually a computer simulation that pops up on three flat screens on the wall in front of her. And Taylor isn't a truck driver, but rather a librarian and the manager of the Fayetteville Public Library's Center for Innovation. She says she's seen a lot more people in the past couple of months interested in trying out the new truck simulator.
2: We've had a lot of um, young people, teenagers, just kind of exploring different career options and just in general in our simulation lab, but they're especially interested in the truck simulator because it's not something that you can get hands-on training with beyond a simulator unless you're, you know, enrolled in a program. So for them to be able just to come in here and to give it a go and just to see what it's all about, see how it feels, has been really nice. Um, And then we have people, we've had a couple of people recently who are working on their CDL program and they just wanted more time behind the wheel, just getting familiar and more comfortable in the seat itself.
1: And with a significant shortage of truck drivers in the U.S., agencies like the Arkansas Trucking Association are hoping to get more workers on the road.
3: Arkansas actually is the number one state in the country um, in per capita trucking employment. And so we certainly want to hold on to that position by um, supporting the industry here and doing everything that we can in order to fill the jobs that are available.
1: That's ATA President Shannon Newton. She says the increased demand for truck drivers coupled with limited test sites and staffing issues has led to long wait lines for drivers to complete their commercial driver's license training in Arkansas.
3: We had um, heard from some of our our members who were um, hiring new drivers out of school that they were um, experiencing significant delays in the time between an individual was, you know, done with their classroom training and needing to test out on their skills portion of their CDL exam. And so based on the normal course of, um, you know, traditional um, truck driving school, that's approximately two weeks, and we had stories of individuals, you know, being booked out, you know, six or seven weeks um, before they would be able to come back and take their um, skills portion.
1: Truck driver training courses can take roughly six weeks to complete and then potential drivers have to complete a written test and in-person skills test after that. And Newton says waiting for testing sites to open up because of backlogs can lead to problems for both drivers and trucking companies.
3: We certainly want to make that process as seamless as possible so that they don't, you know, enter into it and then leave prior to um, completing and, and getting their CDL. So if that if that happens or when that happens, you know, obviously the trucking companies are having to exert additional effort, um, having additional downtime and not filling open positions.
1: And Newton says the wait times hit a peak during the pandemic as testing sites and driver schools shut down or limited service out of concern for COVID-19. So she got in touch with the Arkansas State Police, who administer the CDL exams, to find solutions.
3: We were made aware of these delays that our companies were experiencing, raised that concern to them, and, and tried to collaborate with them in some you know, maybe non-traditional or uh, thinking outside the box, and in some ways that we might address that. You know, they were experiencing their own issues um, with staffing, and so there there are some capacity constraints there, both from a an examiner perspective and then also from um, just a, a real estate perspective that those skills, those skills exams are administered in what they call a pad and those pads, you know, only exist at certain locations throughout the state. And so just trying to think about ways that we could utilize both the examiners and, and those skills testing pads to the maximum capacity and those you know, solutions included, you know, making sure that all the, staff positions were full, looking at potentially utilizing overtime, whether it was individuals, you know, staying um, beyond their normal working hours during the week or opening up, uh, you know, for some additional Saturday exams over the weekend. And then um, additionally, they looked at, you know, expanding, actually acquiring a, a site at the Saline County Fairgrounds so that they could do additional testing at that site, which increased the capacity.
1: She says they are hoping the efforts will get wait times down from as much as 40 days in some cases to a more manageable two weeks by the end of July. But according to Doug Voss, a supply chain management professor at the University of Central Arkansas, the testing backlog is only part of the reason we're seeing so many trucking jobs up for offer
4: there's some amount of debate as to whether there is a shortage of truck drivers or if there's just a whole lot of turnover in the industry. And, uh, you know, the the short answer is yes.
1: Voss says traditionally the commercial freight and trucking industry is tough on its workers.
4: It's a very challenging job that requires a lot of drivers to be away from their families for a long period of time. Uh, It has very difficult working conditions. It's a strenuous job. Um, uh, So I'm I'm sure most of us don't like being in traffic and truck drivers don't like being in traffic either. And it's stressful for them, too, and slows them down. And they don't get paid unless they're moving.
1: And he says the pandemic has only exacerbated those challenges as more people are ordering online and relying on home delivery services. So now, he says, a large number of that workforce is retiring and the industry is having trouble recruiting new drivers.
4: Uh, we need to bring in more veterans into the workforce we need to bring in more females into the workforce more people of color into the workforce i mean we need to start to become more diverse i think we've made some steps in that regard uh but uh, uh but we need to get out of this mindset there's just no white guy job and uh um and there's there's certainly nothing wrong with all white guys but we need everybody
1: and for potential drivers there is some good news though Voss says wages are increasing, and some companies are improving working conditions to make the job more attractive to new workers.
4: So, just in the last two months or so, Walmart recently announced that uh, that uh, their um, starting wage for new truck drivers is going to be around $100,000 a year. And uh, you know, I tend to believe that if the uh, if the average truck driver makes $125,000 a year, that will We'll have significantly easier time finding truck drivers to fill these roles.
1: And back at the Fayetteville Public Library, Melissa Taylor says the truck simulator they have is helping to break down some of those barriers to access for people who maybe didn't see commercial truck driving as a possible career. Before,
2: Yeah, um, I think a lot of people are getting started on things like simulators, like you said, because of one, the, the pure fear of driving a huge multi-ton vehicle barreling down the road, but also just the accessibility, right? Um, large trucks aren't available for everyone just to go like, oh, I'm curious about becoming a truck driver. Let me just jump into a truck and give it a try. No, this is a nice, safe place to practice. Um, there's lots of crashes that happen in the simulator, but that's the best place to do it, right, is in the simulation world. And then um, from there, hopefully, they'll, they'll gain those, th- that basic groundwork and that, um, that comfort that comes with using a simulator, and hopefully they can take that into a real program.
1: She says the library's simulation lab, which also includes flight, car, and forklift simulators, is open to anyone ages 13 and older with a library card. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth.
2: All right.
0: Arkansas's jobless rate appears to be holding steady at 3.2 percent. That was the rate for May, the latest month's numbers that are available, in a report released last week. Talk Business and Politics reports the number of Arkansans with jobs in May was more than 1.3 million, a 2.7 percent increase over May 2021. The number of Arkansas jobs about 2,400 more than in April of this year. A new study from the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences shows patients with a primary care provider are more likely to get an annual flu shot. The study comes from the UAMS Office of Community Health and Research in Northwest Arkansas. According to the findings, people with health insurance or a primary care provider are twice as likely to get the flu vaccine every year. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, about half of Arkansans received a flu shot during the 2021-22 flu season. That's about the same rate as the rest of the country. It was another packed weekend across the region. Thousands of people lined Dixon Street in Fayetteville Saturday afternoon for the annual Pride Parade. began with light rain that ended quickly before a steady downpour started to fall at the end. Still scores of marchers, floats and corporate sponsored entries completed the nearly hour-long event. Then yesterday the rain stayed away for the Juneteenth celebration along Emma Avenue in downtown Springdale. eight hours yesterday. Music, food, and art. Today is the federal holiday of Juneteenth, recognizing the day when enslaved Americans in Galveston, Texas, finally received word they were free nearly two years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. The Juneteenth National Day Act was passed by both the U.S. House and Senate and signed into law by the President last year. This is Ozarks at Large. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center in Fayetteville, serving northwest Arkansas since 1973 with backcountry and urban footwear, clothing, equipment, and more. Pacrat is dedicated to conservation and waste reduction. Packratoc.com for online shopping, shipping, or curbside pickup. Arkansas is one of 19 states allowing citizens to initiate new laws and amendments as popular ballot measures. But as Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, Arkansas is one of two dozen states where there is a proposed change to how a state constitution is amended.
5: Not only do Arkansas voters have the constitutional right to initiate legislation, voters are legally allowed to initiate constitutional amendments and repeal legislation via veto referendum.
6: Arkansas was a state uh, which really uh, was where voters were pretty keen on getting involved in uh, the policy making process.
5: Jay Barth is Emeritus Professor of Politics from Hendricks College.
6: And of course, it's, there's been a lot of change to it over time. And especially in recent years, the legislature has tried to put some limits on it. Uh, but it is still, um, you know, a pretty expansive uh, uh, power of the people uh, to uh, change uh, laws and, and the Constitution itself. And it's pretty rare that a southern state um, has this. For the most part, direct democracy uh, is primarily a a phenomenon of the West, of the western United States.
5: The historical foundation for ballot measures can be traced to Thomas Jefferson. Back in 1775, he proposed legislative referendums for Virginia's state constitution, engaging citizens in the process. More than a century later, states began to adopt popular ballot initiative laws. U.S. citizens have since passed ballot policy reforms to improve education and access to voting rights, to control gerrymandering and taxation, to expand Medicaid and legalize casino gambling. In recent years, many states, including Arkansas, have approved ballot measures to legalize medical marijuana, a petitions currently circulating in Arkansas to legalize recreational pot this election cycle.
6: You know, about half the states have some element of direct democracy. Um, fewer than half have the kind of process through which the petition can be used by voters to get measures on the ballot and then have the voters vote on those measures. So we're talking in about 20 states. Um, the rules are different in every state in terms of the number of signatures, the percentage of voters who are needed to sign signature uh, signatures on petitions. Um, and then the, the rules vary in terms of what percentage of voters actually have to vote in the affirmative
5: and Arkansans Barth says have access to a more pure form of direct democracy
6: with uh, the initiative of of laws and the constitutional amendment uh, with the referendum that allows voters to turn away or turn down a, a legislative act um, and then um, but Arkansas does not have uh, except in just a handful of elections does not have the recall uh, which a lot of other states California must infamously uh, because of its series of recall elections has, Arkansas does not have that piece of direct democracy.
5: In Arkansas, a proposed statewide initiative, a referendum petition initiative, must meet certain minimum requirements. For example, petition signatures have to be collected within a specific time frame to appear on the ballot. For a constitutional amendment, more than 89,151 petition signatures are required. For an initiated act, the number is around 71,000. But prior to circulating any ballot initiative, sponsors must file a copy with the Arkansas Secretary of State showing the full text of the measure, the popular name and the ballot title. Approval of the petition to place it on election ballots happens after the required number of signatures are collected and submitted, not before. Prior to 2019, Arkansas's attorney general was tasked with that job. Now it's up to the Secretary of State
6: there's been some change in in the procedures in this arena. You know, historically, this was an area where uh, the attorney general really had a lot of hands-on activity with every stage of the process in terms of the approval of language, the ballot title, et cetera. Uh, Now, a lot more of that responsibility is really in the hands of the secretary of state. Of course, the attorney general would, would represent the secretary of state in court if there was a challenge uh, to any of the uh, the rulings by the Secretary of State, so there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of power in those uh, administ- uh, by those administrators before it ever goes to the people at all.
5: Proposed initiated ballots in Arkansas are rejected by state authorities, especially for having unclear or vague language.
6: I think that it's it's very clear that 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 General Rutledge was probably um, among the most aggressive in terms of. Uh, stymieing uh, efforts to to change um, the law or the Constitution, you know, to allow um, new uh, new measures. Uh, but it's also important to recognize that, you know, some of the legislative actions during the last number of years have also been limitations on this process because of, of the uh, affidavits that are now required of those individuals who are collecting uh, petitions, that they get You know, in essence, background checks before they ever go out on the street. That makes um, the whole process more complicated and more costly. And so I think what we're seeing now is that it's very difficult for uh, true grassroots groups uh, to use this process. It's now a process where those who have some resources behind them.
5: Grassroots ballot campaigns have grown increasingly expensive, requiring millions of dollars to pay filing and legal fees, rent campaign headquarters, cover television, newspaper, and radio advertising costs, and to pay canvassers, those who physically circulate petitions on town squares and in shopping districts, to obtain verified voter signatures.
6: Fairly significant money. Uh, can uh, can get things on the ballot now. Arkansas is not nearly as as expensive as any other uh, as many of the other states out there like California or Colorado or some of those other states that are bigger and require more signatures but um, and Arkansas is pretty cheap once you get something on the ballot because it's fairly uh, affordable to run election campaigns here uh, but um, it is um, that that process of getting things on the ballot is now a situation where it's really hard for grassroots groups to get it done.
5: This summer, a statewide initiative petition drive is underway to place the question of an Arkansas constitutional amendment to legalize recreational marijuana for adults on the November general election ballot. The Arkansas State Legislature has referred three constitutional ballot amendments, which can be viewed on the Arkansas Secretary of State Initiatives and Referenda ballot link. One referred measure is Arkansas House Joint Resolution 1005. It aims to reform the ballot initiative process by raising the number of votes required to 60 percent rather than a simple majority. Again, Emeritus Professor of Politics Jay Barth.
6: If it is more difficult for the people to change uh, policy at the ballot box, that inherently gives the um, the legislature um, more power, more oversight of, of policy. so it 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 really is a a way in which it stymies the, the ability of uh, of voters to really change policy uh, themselves. Um, and so it really uh, would do, I think, significant um, harm to the direct democracy process in the state. Um, some people would argue that, that that's a good thing because, uh, you know, voters are, are not as informed and it should be left with the legislature to make decisions. But we know now that, you know, the legislative body is Probably on many issues, more conservative than the Arkansas electorate as a whole. As conservative as the electorate is, the the legislature is even more conservative, and we do know that there are a number of of um, issues that have been where there has been policy change as a result of uh, direct democracy.
5: The referred ballot measure by lawmakers to reform direct democracy in Arkansas has polled poorly, but moneyed conservative interest group campaign advertising could change minds as we progress into the autumn election season. Article 5, Section 1 of the Arkansas Constitution, which allows the people to propose constitutional amendments, states, no legislation shall be enacted to restrict, hamper, or impair the exercise of the rights herein reserved to the people. So if it were to pass, House Joint Resolution 1005 will likely face legal challenge, Lawmakers in two dozen states last year introduced bills that would impede direct democracy, according to the Progressive Ballot Initiative Strategy Center. To learn more about the process and how to run a citizen's ballot measure campaign, including insight into the enabling legislation that allows it, the Arkansas Secretary of State has published an online 2022 Initiatives and Referenda Handbook for Ozarks at Large I'm Jacqueline Froelich. This
0: is Ozarks at Large.
7: Now, here's Steve Barnes. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Election Night 1978 on News Scene. Something old and something new this year. Old, or should we say familiar? Jim Rankino back for his fifth election season with News his 10th Democratic primary. Welcome back, Jim. Thanks, Stan.
0: This is Ozarks at Large with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News studios. Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. What did we just hear, Randy?
8: We just heard the uh, beginning of election coverage from the primary in uh, 1978 with, you I'm sure you recognize the name Steve Barnes, but you may not recognize the other name, Jim Ranquino. I do not. I And again, I think for people who didn't grow up in, with Central Arkansas TV stations, they may not. Right, or a certain age. Right. Because he was only at the station for eight years. He did five election cycles. And um, he was... Uh, he was a professor, a political science professor at Washtenaw Baptist University in Arkadelphia. And um, he was probably one of the first media pollsters in Arkansas. And we'll get into that a little more in a minute. But this guy was really unique. Um, And he brought something to Arkansas and to Arkansas media and Arkansas politics that had never happened before. And this is we're talking the 1970s, but um, can we listen to a clip first? Yeah. This is Steve Barnes uh, talking with Jim Ranquino, and he talks to him about the process of
7: polling. Polls and, and public opinion sampling is is a, uh, an art or a skill or science that's uh, quite mysterious to most of us. Uh, should it be? Well, it's
9: it's actually not a mystery. Uh, those of us in the business say it's half art and half science, uh, uh, the, the science is that there, there are some statistical procedures that you go through that uh, anybody in, in college, for instance, could learn in about five or six weeks, and uh, that's how to draw a sample and, and what to look for if there are mistakes in the sample and that kind of thing. The art comes in on how to ask the questions, and that's the real key thing. Uh, most errors that occur in survey work do not come from bad samples. They come from bad questions. And so over the years, you have to work at asking
8: the right kind of questions that you'll get an objective information
0: he was a professor of political science
8: at obu yeah beginning in about 1965 and uh had been working there for some time and started doing his own independent polling uh really was a a scholar of of politics and specifically statistical uh polling and scientific polling and um you know this eventually caught the attention of of KATV and Jim Pitcock hired him Jim was the news director news director um and he uh Jim Rankino became a major part a uh, very integral part of the Channel 7 news team especially around obviously election time but um you know I talked to Jim Last week, and he explained the you know the rarity of such a move from a television station, and what he brought to the table as far as uh, election coverage, and uh, this is what
10: Jim had to say. Well, he actually started polling in the media. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, none of the television stations, none of the radio stations in Arkansas. And, uh, uh, the Democrat or the Gazette, they had never done polling on a political race. Most of the polling had been done by the campaigns. And if the numbers were good, they would release them. And if they were not so good, it remained a secret. So, uh, starting in 1970, uh, Jim started working
8: uh, for us. Rankino's first election was the primary runoff in 70. And the big race that night was the Democratic gubernatorial runoff between uh, former Governor Faubus, Orville Faubus, and this relatively <laughs> unknown lawyer yeah, from Charleston named Dale Bumpers. Um, and, well, I'd, Archie Schaefer, we know Archie. Yeah, we do. And um, he uh, was always on the, the Dale Bumper's team. It was uh, his uncle. And uh, he was the campaign manager in 1970, and this is what he recalls about Rankino.
10: Well, I knew Jim Branquino a little bit uh, from the 1970 Bumper's uh, gubernatorial campaign. Uh, he was uh, one of the first... Uh, true pollsters in Arkansas, I think. And uh, uh, he did not uh, do work uh, for candidates, I don't believe, but uh, was hired by KATV to do polling in the governor's race uh, in 1970, which Bumpers ended up winning. Uh, And he was one of the uh, people who I think uh, early on predicted uh, bumpers meeting uh, uh, followed us in the runoff, which uh, was, uh, uh,
8: you know, interesting times. And so it really changed uh, the way television worked. Um, the and well, we talked to him about uh, the the difference between uh, polling political polling and say, you know, a, a marketing research firm. And this is what uh, Jim Renkino had to say about that. You know, political polling is, is so much more
9: interesting and actually much more demanding because you have a certain date in mind and you're doing polls for somebody who hires you to tell you what to do to get to that point with the greatest number of votes. And so it's very demanding. It's also demanding in terms of, you know, it tells you whether your polls have been fairly right or fairly wrong. I mean, it's a, there's, there's a call-in date. When you do marketing research, you know, you tell your company if they do X or A, B, and C, that they'll, you know, certain things will happen. And maybe they happen, maybe they don't, but you don't have a firm measure on it. But in political work, if, you know, six weeks out from a campaign, you tell a guy that he needs to go here and he needs to say this, and then he does that, and then when the election day comes in, he doesn't improve his share of the vote, then, you know, you're in trouble with the,
8: with the kind of work you do. What he was so good at doing was, I don't want to say dumb it down, but... Made uh, it so we
0: could understand.
8: Exactly. Because, you know, it can be quite complex, and, and he really made it understandable. Um, And, uh, well, here's Jim Pitcock again. Well,
10: I think he brought an excitement, an excitement, because uh, people were allowed on the inside of the campaign because they could see the numbers that the politicians were seeing. And Jim just had an ability to bring it home in words that uh, uh, the common... folks could uh, understand. And uh, uh, I think there was a renewed interest in politics because of uh, what Jim Rantino
0: did. So this was called the Arkansas Poll, which of course we have the Arkansas Poll now
8: that's conducted by Janine Perry at the University of Arkansas. A little bit of information. Um, KATV owned the copyrights to that. And we... Gave it to the university to to use the name. We KTV copyrighted everything, you know, <laughs> crime Crime Stoppers, the Arkansas Poll, you know, any any snappy title we came up with, we'd put it, put a service mark on it because you know we didn't want our competition to use. You didn't it, want but, K-R-K or K T H V to have right. And but we work with the university closely, and they aren't competition, so. Yeah, the Arkansas poll is now a university thing and not a KTV thing. Interesting. Yeah. So, where are we here?
0: Uh, What did... Did this... Let me ask this. Did this change things? It did change things for the viewers, right? Oh, absolutely. How they consumed political news?
8: Yes. You were getting more than the numbers. And... Jim Rankino would sit on the set with Steve, and it was almost like, because we would go wall-to-wall. Wall. We would go on at 7.30 and stay on sometimes 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. So if Starsky & Hutch was on that night, too bad. Too bad. <laughs> uh, you know, blow out the news. You might throw a little weather in around the 10 o'clock hour, and if there's big Razorbacks Sure. Going on, you throw in a little Bud Campbell sports. But
0: the runoffs were in May, so.
8: Yeah. It, Not a lot of Back then, it didn't on. matter, yeah. Yeah. It was almost like a sporting event where you have the play-by-play and then you have the the analyst. The, the color analyst, and, sure. Right. And and Barnes uh, was doing play-by-play and Jim Rankino was doing color. So um, it really made the evening uh, more more interesting as Jim said it made it more exciting and it gave you know people an insight but um, you know he was also a professor so let's kind of go back in time and pretend like we're in a uh, political science class with Jim Rankino and um, well here we'll, we'll hear a few pearls of wisdom, <laughs> political wisdom from him, um, but this first one he has some advice for candidates.
9: A, a good politician will stay away from the controversial issues, and if he does have to take a position on a controversial issue, he may hedge a little bit. That, that's the point, and uh, usually the, the candidates do the best that are able to keep a, a kind of open position on most of the controversial positions. Uh, Several politicians in in this state have been very adept uh, at at doing that, and it pays off for them.
0: He also addressed because, and it's something you hear still. Like the polls become the dog wagging the tail, right? Yes. Oh well, that
8: the bandwagon effect.
0: If that person is now leading the polls, that's who I'm going to go for. And well, that's and criticism. when you're
8: talking East Coast and West Coast, the, sure, the time zone differences. So you know, you could call a race. The idea being, if you're a voter in say Sacramento and you hear that.
0: Um, Jimmy Carter has won the election and you were for Gerald Ford, you're not going to go and that could hurt down ballot because now you might not be voting for the candidate you thought about for governor or whatever because you're just sitting it out because the big race is over. Right. And Jim
8: Rankino says that's not true. Yeah.
9: and All of the documented studies so far have indicated that polls do not influence the actual outcome of an election. The best example is we have published polls every presidential election year And those polls come out on Monday night before the election and say the election will turn out this way. And if they unduly influence the voter, then those polls should be more in favor on election day of the person who's ahead. And that's never happened. When it says it's going to be 6139 Nixon over McGovern, that's what it turned out. Uh, Also, too, we've even had studies on election day showing that when a network calls the election back in another time standard, that the people out in California go ahead and vote for the loser. They go ahead and vote for the person they think that they're. And we've had now four presidential elections studied that way. And there's been no indication that even a call, uh, an early call of the election unduly influences voters. Uh, there's no question some polls can influence people who give money to campaigns. No question about that. Money people
8: like to be with a winner. All right, well, now let's fast forward to November 7th, 1978. It was the general election in Arkansas. A midterm year. Huge, yeah. It was big. And the big race that night was the gubernatorial match between then Attorney General Bill Clinton and Republican candidate Lynn Lowe. Rankino had been with KTV eight years at this point. Um, And it's moments before... Broadcast time and something horrible, horrible happened. Um, here's here's Jim Pitcock.
10: At about uh, 10 after 7, uh, Jim said, oh, I forgot something. So he went down uh, to the newsroom and went into my office and got some papers that he had forgotten. And he came back toward Studio A and he ran up the stairs, ran into the studio and uh, uh, I believe I was talking to Steve at the anchor desk and uh, Jim Rankino collapsed uh, and fell on the
8: floor of the studio. Jim Ranquino collapses in the studio 20 minutes before airtime. And fortunately, there was a nurse there and there was a volunteer fireman who knew CPR and they started to tend to him until the ambulance came. But, you know, of course, there was complete
10: confusion. And we were just all in the state of shock. I mean, we couldn't believe it. We just couldn't believe it. And here how'd you go uh, on with election coverage? Yeah, here's Steve Barnes at the anchor desk. And uh, we're going to go over there. And I walked over. I said, You okay? He said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. And, he and he and Jim Rankino had really become, over the previous eight years, he and Jim Rankino had really, really become good friends.
0: Once again, Jim Pitcock talking. Uh, so what happens now? Well,
8: they, they go on the air, and Steve is out there by himself, you know, and Jim had checked on him. And um, and this is the real tough part to hear because um, I know I couldn't do it. Uh, but Steve had to make an announcement on the air during uh, our election coverage with with this bulletin.
7: We are f- – forced to interrupt uh, our coverage of this election to bring you some very bad news about a man who has been a pivotal part of our election coverage for the past five campaign seasons. At approximately 10 minutes after 7 o'clock tonight, political survey research specialist and election analyst Jim Rankino collapsed in our studios while preparing to appear on this broadcast. A trained nurse who was present and an individual schooled in cardiopulmonary resuscitation began immediate first aid. Trained emergency medical personnel arrived within minutes and they rushed our friend to St. Vincent Infirmary where cardiac specialists were awaiting. But despite what we feel certain were the best efforts of everyone involved, our friend and colleague Jim Rankino died tonight. Once again, our friend and colleague Jim Rankino died this evening. All of us at Channel 7 have lost a dear friend and colleague, and we ache for his family.
8: One person that Rankino had become really good friends with was the newly elected governor, Bill Clinton. And that night at his victory speech, he even mentioned mm-hmm. the, the passing because he had just found out about it that night. Uh, but the next day, a uh, newly elected U.S. senator David Pryor had this to say about his friend Jim Ranquino Jim Ranquino was
11: probably one of the most unique individuals and characters and I say that in a complimentary sense because he was he was his own person and Jim Ranquino somehow or another last night election night was not the same and it's it's I don't know. He is a part of our election process here in this state. Jim Rankino was synonymous with election nights in this state. I have been very, very intrigued by uh... his projections, his way of trying to analyze why people make the decisions the way they do. I've also been uh, from time to time, I've disagreed with with Jim Ranquino, but we always disagreed in a fashion where it was pleasant. and And just recently, I've had the opportunity to be with him just to talk about matters. and He's a he was a great man.
8: He was a, a part of KTV. He I started in July of seventy nine, so he was just a little before my mm. time. But I heard stories about him for years when I started there. And as a matter of fact, his son, Tony, uh, still works for the station. He's been working there for more than 30 years. And uh, he's uh, been a great KETV employee and just sort of carried on the Rankino name. All right. Uh, You can learn more about this and so
0: much more about Arkansas history by just going to the Barbara By just going to the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History, just put that into a search engine and it'll take you there. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. I'll see you next week. Yes. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Washington Regional awarded the highest score possible in the spring 2022 Leapfrog Hospital Safety Grades, offers compassionate, quality health care while prioritizing patient safety. Continuously growing to meet the changing needs of the community. Washington Regional, nationally recognized care, here for you. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, June 20th, 2022. Thanks for being here. The number of people attending two- and four-year colleges and universities in Arkansas has been dropping and is expected to continue on a downward trend. On Arkansas PBS this week, Dr. Maria Markham, director at the Arkansas Department of Higher Education, said some declines were unavoidable.
2: We anticipate continued declines. We are on trend with what's happening nationally. Um, you know, There are several factors that play into this. One is just the general population shift. We have Fewer students who traditionally engage in higher ed uh, turning 18, and the only way to have more 18-year-olds is to be born 18 years ago.
0: Markham said a significant number of high school graduates are choosing trade skill programs like plumbing or welding over colleges or universities. According to the latest estimates from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center, post-secondary institutions across the country have lost almost 1.4 million students since the beginning of the pandemic. Summer's almost here, officially starting at 4.15 tomorrow morning. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore is continuing his survey of local bookstores for summer reads today by asking the folks at Pearl's Books in downtown Fayetteville for some suggestions.
12: This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. We continue our summer reading list with our friend Daniel Jordan, co-owner of Pearl's Books in Fayetteville. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. We have some summer reading suggestions. We have some for younger readers, we've got some for not quite as young readers. Uh Daniel, we're going to start with the kids books, right?
13: Yeah. Yeah, so first I have uh Where's Bluey, which um do you know what Bluey is? I am familiar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a hilarious uh animated kids show. But this is like basically a Where's Waldo. Um, but with Bluey characters, ah. so it's a search and find book. On each page, you know, it tells you what to find on the left, and then the picture of like a messy room. You have to find find those items in the room. So it's really good for for kids on a road trip or for kids stuck at home for a while um, over the summer. It's also fairly challenging. <laughs> yeah, I, I've thumbed through and, and had trouble finding some of them, but yeah, super fun. I love Bluey.
12: That's awesome, and and it's a it's a way for parents and children to kind of engage together to work yeah. to find it together. Totally, um, that's awesome. Okay, yeah. So, what do we have next here?
13: Next, we have swim team, and this is by Johnny Christmas. It's a middle grade graphic novel um, about this this girl who moves to a new. New town, new school, so she's making new friends. Uh, all of a sudden, she she finds herself on the swim team, which she had never known how to swim before. Um, it was like the only elective that was left. And so she learns the value of friendships, um, how that those can help, help you overcome anxiety and um, nervousness about new situations um, and being thrown in um, to a totally new situation. She finds a friend right away um, who helps her overcome those fears and anxieties. My favorite thing about it is it's a very colorful, well-illustrated book. And then when she has some anxious thoughts, um, it's like big, bold, um, Uh, black letters. Yeah. um, They kind of like take over the frames. Um, So it's really – it's a very good uh, illustration of how anxious thoughts can kind of Yeah, it's a very good visual
12: representation for – especially for young readers to kind of, uh, you know, personify anxiety.
13: Yeah. Yeah, for sure, which, you know – those are those are thoughts that that kids are having. Um, it's good to address them in, in the books that they're reading.
12: That's awesome. Okay, we have a we have kind of a travel
13: style book, kind of a get out of your house and go explore book here. Exactly. Yeah, the Riverman's Guide to the Kings River. Hmm. This is by Doug Allen. Um, he's a local guy, super nice nice guy. He um, he's lived in Fayetteville and born and raised in Northwest Arkansas. This is a guide that's great for people who want to fish the King's River, um, for people who are floating the King's River, or really just for people who want to learn more about the history of the King's River, the geography. So it has, you know, everything that you're looking for in a guidebook, you know, regulations on fishing and your recommendations for good outfitter shops and things like that. So, yeah, this is great for folks who have already done the King's River and want to get dig a little deeper yeah. or for people who are new to the area wanting to explore Um, what the Kings River has to offer.
12: Yeah, my father-in-law has decided uh, that this summer he's going to go fishing as much as humanly possible. Awesome. Sounds like a book right up his alley. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so now we have some more adult-style books here. What do we have to start out with? So,
13: The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. This book has been on my list for a long time, and I finally read it like a month ago and absolutely loved it. Mm. Uh, it's a really heartwarming story. It's about this guy who, uh, he works for the department in charge of magical youth. Um, so he's in charge of looking over the orphanages um, for these magical children and making sure that they're following all the rules and regulations. So he's a really type A personality, really stickler with the rules. But throughout the book, he starts to loosen up. He starts to really um, have get some affection for these children and and for the owner of the orphanage Um, As well, so just a really, it's a good feel-good book. It it happens on the beach, too, so if you're going to the beach, yeah, yeah, this, the the Linus, the main character, he's always wanted to go to the beach, um, and then he finally does uh, on this trip to the orphanage, and it warms your heart.
12: Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of warming hearts, we have Chuck Klosterman here. Oh, yeah. Uh, People (laughs) who, you know, read Chuck Klosterman, you either have an opinion about him or you don't, and uh, this is his latest book.
13: Yes, The 90s. I love Chuck Klosterman. He I feel like he could talk about anything. Um and and you know spend pages talking about it. He covers Basically, a lot of the pop culture from the '90s, but he digs deeper. Um, whenever he's talking about something like Garth Brooks right. or something like that, like he finds out what the significance of it is culturally, what it means for how we thought about um, pop culture, and about um, country musicians at the time. Um, so he, he just does like deep dives into all of these different things: uh, Ralph Nader, mm-hmm. Seinfeld, Nirvana, things like that. So. As I was reading it, I felt like I was kind of just drinking a beer with this guy who's really passionate about everything, and uh, it's it's contagious. I... I I got passionate about Ralph Nader too while I was reading this,
12: <laughs> and, it, and it's and it's it's really nice for you know those of us who grew up in the 90s in a very influential time in some of our uh, you know childhoods or young adulthoods that it's really uh, an informative way to kind of look at a time that you maybe didn't think quite as critically about at the time, right? Exactly.
13: Yeah, I was born in 89, so you know I have vague memories of right. some of this stuff. Some of the I remember a little bit better, but yeah, I think it, I think it'd be good for um, you know, someone like our, like my age, maybe who who um, who has some small memories, and then also for folks who maybe are a little bit older and remember some of this stuff a little bit better. Kind of a trip down memory lane, but also yeah, a little more thoughtful reflections on on the big pop culture things.
12: Absolutely, happen. absolutely. And then our last book here.
13: Yeah. So this is Malibu Rising um, by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, she's the author of Daisy Jones and the Six, yes. um, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Um, and there are some of those characters um, from those two books in Malibu Rising. She kind of has created this universe mm-hmm. um, that she she focuses on different different books, focus on different characters within that universe. Um, so Malibu Rising is about a, a group of siblings who come together in their young adulthood uh, for this huge party in Malibu uh, at one of their houses. It takes place over the course of a night. So, you know, One chapter will begin 10 p.m., the next chapter 11 p.m., all the way up to, like, 4 a.m. But in between, it's interspersed with, um, like, flashbacks to, um, like, their family history, their parents getting together and all that stuff. And um, just a really fun read, entertaining, um, not too it's not too reflective or thoughtful, um, which can be nice if you're just looking to relax and read something on the beach or whatever.
12: Absolutely. And and folks can find all six of these book recommendations at your shop. Tell us a little bit about your shop and where they can find it.
13: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have all six at Pearl's Books. Um, we're on Center Street, uh, right across from Taste of Thai and Petra Cafe. So yeah, we, um, we've been around since early October. Uh, so yeah, coming up on eight months now, which is crazy. Yeah, uh, We've learned a lot in those eight months. And yeah. We're still learning. But, yeah, we've had a lot of fun.
12: And people are are welcome to bring their dogs. I've seen a lot on, yes. on social media yes, about we love talking about, uh, what do you call
13: them, Pearls? Pearls Pals. Pearls Pals. Yeah. So Pearl was our dog. Um, so the, the shop is named after a dog. Um, and, yeah, we love to see dogs in the shop.
12: That's fantastic. Yeah. Daniel Jordan from Pearls Books, thanks so much for joining us.
13: Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate
0: you. You can see that full list of books from Sarah as well as the rest of our summer reading list on our website at
14: OzarksAtLarge.com. G'day, my name's Weston Red, and I'm the host of If That Ain't Country, heard Saturday evenings on KUAF. Now, my favourite thing about summer is cranking up the AC in the car and heading home after hitting Riverside Park in West Fork for a walk with my daughter, and that activity goes great with another of my favourite things, KUAF, because around that time, I can usually catch the second hour of 1A and sometimes fresh air, then Ozarks at large. Now, back when I was living in Australia, I used to catch All Things Considered on the Radio and was fascinated by its in-depth, balanced reporting style. When I moved to the US and Arkansas, KUAF became my go-to station for the same reason. My favourite on-air personality is definitely Jacqueline Froelich, because I love her voice on Ozark's at-large stories. The kind of journalism provided by KUAF is increasingly rare and very worthy of our support. I support KUAF, and you can too by heading over to supportkuaf.com and making a give right now. I love you, KUAF.
0: And we love you, Western Red. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Drake's Creek. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Jacqueline Froelich, Matthew Moore, and... And Randy Dixon, Timothy Dennis, produced our program. Additional material on today's show came from our good friends at the KUAR newsroom. KUAR, public radio for Little Rock and all of central Arkansas. All right, we're scheduled to be preempted at noon tomorrow for NPR's live coverage of the congressional hearings regarding the January 6th violence at the United States Capitol. We do plan to have a show for you tomorrow night at 7. And by the way, there has been a change in the Thursday scheduling original, I won't tell you when it was originally going to happen. I'll just tell you that now the hearings are supposed to start at 2 Thursday afternoon. You can always listen to us by using the KUAF app. You can also archive us through the KUAF Ozarks at Large podcast, the Ozarks at Large podcast available wherever you already get your podcasts. Thanks so much for being with us on this Juneteenth holiday from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. Have a great rest of your Monday. Be safe. Talk again soon.